Well, let me add Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. Happy Mother's Day. I think I've shared this with you before. Hopefully it wasn't last Mother's Day. But you know, the holes in my brain are growing bigger and information just falls through. How many of you know where Portland, Oregon is? Yeah. That's where I grew up. How many of you know where Oregon City, Oregon is? (laughs) There are two. The reason you don't know is because most people don't know. Oregon City, Oregon. Vivid memory of my mother. Freshman year, high school, playing freshman football. Nobody goes to watch freshman football. (laughs) Nobody cares about freshman football. And those games happen like on Tuesday afternoons, Wednesday afternoons, And the freshmen never play on the varsity field, at least not in those days. We played on whatever cow pasture wasn't being used. And I will never forget, it was a typical freshman football game. It's a cold day. It's in the fall. It is raining. Did I mention I grew up in Portland? And it is nasty, muddy. Nobody there. Nobody there. Except my mother. She was the only person to come and watch that game. And I will never forget that image of my mom standing on the sideline because it was a cow pasture and there are no seats under her umbrella watching her son play freshman football. If that's not an image of a mom, oh my gosh. Unbelievable. I have often thought and probably have said this to some of you that, you know, if it weren't for the mother's role in the life of a child, the human population would be considerably smaller. (laughs) Can you imagine if God entrusted the future of humanity to the fathers? (laughs) Oh my goodness. I I mean, it's it's, it's tragic, but it's almost hilarious when you think about it. So thanks. To all of you moms for the difference that you make in so many lives. But I I also want to expand my thanks to all of you women. Because not all are moms. But the woman in a predominantly patriarchal world. And it has always been that way. You as a woman demonstrate, and I really mean this, a strength that the world desperately needs more of. Brute force rules the day in our world. Might makes right, and so often it does so by by taking life. But women demonstrate a gentle but oh-so-powerful strength that both gives life and far more naturally than men nurtures life. And often women do it behind the scenes sacrificing themselves in many ways for the sake of others. So I just want to say to all you ladies 
that in your gentle strength, we see the character of Jesus often so much more clearly than anywhere else. The revelation of a powerful God who chose to make himself most clearly known in the powerful, life-giving sacrifice of his Son. Thank you to all of you, ladies. We affirm the gifts from God that you are in our lives and the example that you are so often of the patience and meekness that is esteemed by Jesus and a great value in the kingdom of God. So let me pray. Father, this morning, just a great thanks to you for the obvious role that moms have had in all of our lives. We are here because we had a mom. For many, uh, the, uh, the memories are painful. For many, the memories are joy-filled. Uh, we recognize that parenting mother or father in a broken world is a tough job. And we often do the best with what we have. And we often role model what we've learned. And sometimes that's good and sometimes it's not so good. But regardless of that, in the bigger picture there is God making his image known in the creation of both male and female. So this morning I want to especially thank you for who we see of you in the women of this world. We see a gentleness of character. We see an amazing strength that is often not affirmed as such. We see patience. We see what seems to be unlimited ability to nurture and to care. And for all of those things, humanity is, is richer. And so we thank you for showing yourself to us in many ways. Today especially, we thank you for showing yourself, your character, uh, in the role of women in our lives. May we as your people always be quick to affirm the importance and the preciousness and the wonder of women. May we as a church never back away from our support and our prominent enthusiasm for the women that you have blessed us with in this place, the amazing role that they have in your kingdom. And so much of what we have to learn comes from them. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, earlier this week, I read this story of of a mom gave her young daughter, they were on their way to church one morning, gave her a $1 bill and a quarter and wanted her to have the choice of what she would give during the offering at church. And so, so she told her daughter, she said, you can give either one, it's entirely up to you. So as they were driving home, the mom asked the daughter, what she had decided to give. And the little girl said, well, at first I was going to give the dollar bill. But then 
the pastor said that God loves a cheerful giver. And so I felt like I would be much more cheerful if I gave the quarter instead. <laughs> you know, we, uh, we can keep that in mind, I think, as we turn to our lessons in Acts this morning. Uh, we're going to deal with that uh, somewhat infamous story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. If you've never read the story of Ananias and Sapphira, well then fasten your seatbelts. If you have read the story, fasten your seatbelts. And, and to be honest, if you're like me, you have probably wondered numbers of times, what is this story about? What's, what's going on here? What's at the heart of it? We're going to take a stab at better understanding it. I've wrestled with it all week long. And, and maybe there'll be a bit of a surprise in this for you where I'm, I'm coming out in terms of my understanding of, of, of the bigger picture lesson that is important for us as, as God's people. And, and in some ways, I think maybe it, it, it creates even higher stakes. We'll, we'll get to that. But before that, just three quick reminders. Uh, first, we need to remember... As we approach this story, uh, Acts is the story of, of the birth and growth of the early church. As it becomes strong and as it becomes a vibrant presence for Jesus in a world that doesn't appreciate Jesus. God's people, we have seen, have been empowered by the Spirit of God so that they will be witnesses to Jesus. And, and we, it's so important that we remember that. And, and I know I probably harp on this too much, but the role of the Spirit of God in the lives of his people is to give them the power to be witnesses for Jesus. That is the point of having the Spirit. Sometimes we can, we can make the Spirit into something that's going to make us a better person person if we're making us better people just because we need to be better people that's a misunderstanding of scripture the spirit will make us into better people if better people is what we need to be in order to be witnesses for Jesus because the spirit is in us to make us witnesses who are bold and courageous and clearly identifiable as followers of Jesus. So I, I just think that that's very important for us to remember that he empowers us to be witnesses, both individually and, and certainly collectively. And I think that's a piece of what's going on in our story this morning as well. There's a second thing that we want to remember, and that is that, that Greek word that we translate as witness well, the Greek pronunciation, this will give you the clue you know this, is martus. It is the word that we use, martyr. So when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, it is literally, you will be martyrs for me. A martyr, we understand, is a person who willingly lays down their life for the sake of Witness. 
important to remember that that, that word is better translated martyr. And I've suggested to you that that we need to allow that word to shape our expectations of what it means to be a witness for Jesus because because bottom line is this, being a witness for Jesus means that I make him preeminent in my life, that that I make him known in my life. And it's not about making myself known, it's about making him known known. As a result of the way we live our lives, Jesus becomes more clearly identifiable in us and through us. And it really is like the word martyr implies. It's a daily death to self for the sake of making Jesus known. When John the Baptist said of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease He was talking like a martyr. That's martyr language. A witness is someone who's concerned about making Jesus increase while we just get smaller and smaller. There's a third reminder. This is an obvious one, of course, but we cannot do this without the role of the Spirit. He's given to us for this specific purpose, and it's not something that we can do if he's not in us. It's exactly why the Spirit came upon the early believers at Pentecost, and the very same reason that he fills every follower of Christ since. And and we've noted that the Spirit came in the form of tongues, that, that instrument, that physical piece of our body that gives us the ability to express words. The Spirit gives us the ability to speak about Jesus in and every situation. He empowers us to care more about the souls of people who need a Savior than caring about what others might think of us or what they might not think of us or what will happen to us as we are His witnesses. Those are just kind of the three foundational pieces that, that, that need to carry us through this study in Acts, uh, I think particularly as we encounter stories like the one that we, we come to this morning. So last week, we read that the religious leaders, remember, were astonished at the courage of Peter and John. These were unschooled, ordinary men. And Luke records for us in the book of Acts that they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were astonished because they were unschooled. They were ordinary. But they had been with Jesus. And so when they commanded them to stop speaking and teaching in the name of Jesus, Peter and John replied, well, Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. What are they going to say to that? For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. That's what witnesses do. They speak about what they have seen and heard. They speak about what they've experienced of Jesus Christ 
in their lives. They live for and they speak about Jesus. And so before we read our text this morning together, it's important that we have, I think, uh, an immediate context out of which the story of Ananias and Sapphira come. So let me just remind you that real quickly. After Peter and John told the authorities that they wouldn't stop speaking about Jesus, they went back to the community of believers, and then they told them what the authorities had said to them. They want us to stop speaking and teaching about Jesus, but we're not going to do that. And Luke records for us, when they heard this, all God's people together in that place, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Listen to these words. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. You think they had confidence in the sovereignty of God? They somehow weren't concerned that God had missed the situation in which they found themselves. You know, somebody's turning up the the heat on the thermostat, and they are committed to God's sovereignty over their lives. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That is a gutsy prayer. I don't think I would have prayed that. Lord, you know I have a wife and children. You know I have a job to be concerned about here. You know I have a a reputation in my community. So, Lord, I just need for you to to kind of dial them down a bit. And, And I'll be a little bit more careful about what I say and how I say it. That's not here. That, that was my prayer. That's because it's not here. Um, now, Lord, consider your threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders. Those things announced the kingdom of God. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all, surprise, surprise, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. I think it's safe to assume that God liked that prayer. The place where they were meeting was shaken. He was pleased. They don't express concern for themselves. They ask God for boldness so that they would continue to be faithful witnesses. And the Spirit of God once again comes upon them powerfully and fills them with a language ability. And this time it is boldness. Boldness to speak about Jesus. Okay, that is just what has happened Shortly before we read Ananias and Sapphira, then Luke writes this about the community of believers. 
All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything that they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he sold a field that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay, now we stand and we read about Ananias and Sapphira. Here we go. Together. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold... Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buries your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these fence. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Are you sure you're thankful? <laughs> Thanks be to God. Yeah, man, individual lives that have been transformed by the Holy Spirit, God doing amazing work in his community, in the lives of those people. And along come Ananias and Sapphira. Eugene Peterson once said, sometimes I think that all religious sites should be posted with signs reading, Beware of God. The places and occasions that people gather to attend to God, they're dangerous. They're glorious places and occasions for sure, but they're also dangerous. Danger signs should be conspicuously placed as they are at nuclear power stations because religion is the death 
of some people. Powerful, powerful story. Powerful story. Karen, can we put our our next slide up? We read together these three statements in the middle. Peter said, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. It seems to me that this is where the heart of the lesson is for us. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. So I want you to just wrestle with it. Talk with your neighbor for a minute or two. What do those statements mean? See if you can put those together. Okay, what do you think? Nat, I can't tell you how many times I do that when we're singing. It's like, I am just a hypocrite as I sing this song. I mean, at that moment, that's where my heart wants to be. It's not necessarily where I live my life. As my son-in-law would say, the British son-in-law, naughty, naughty. (laughs) Because if somebody really knows God, they'd be an idiot to do something like that, right? Which I've never done, by the way. So, okay. 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 Good insight, too. Anyone else want to add? Okay. Yeah. that, That word pretense came to me. Kristen, you just used it, Kristen, and, and that came to me this week, pretense. It's, it, was, it was purposefully creating the appearance of something that wasn't really true. It wasn't really, it wasn't really so. Um, there's, there's some hypocrisy that's going on here. It, it seems very likely from, from what we read about the, the community that there is much openness and, and much transparency among the believers in the fellowship. Luke tells us that they were one in heart, in mind. He tells us that, that no one claimed possessions as their own, and they shared everything that they had. There were no needy persons among them. And from time to time, Luke points out that someone would, would sell a piece of land or, or a house, and, and they brought the money, and they put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as they had need. Have you ever heard someone say in sort of a disdainful way, man, it sounds like the early church was socialist. That has got to be one of the saddest things I've ever heard. It is the work of the Spirit of God that is suddenly transforming people who are by nature very self-absorbed, self-protecting, self-promoting, self-focused into people that are caring less about themselves and more about others. Oh, that's right. That's what the Holy Spirit came to do. He came to make us be less concerned about ourselves and concerned more about others and them knowing Jesus and experiencing Jesus in my life. It must be the work of the Holy Spirit here in this passage. Imagine that. So, when Joseph the Levite sold his field and brought the money to the apostles, Ananias and Sapphira likely would have known about it. It it, it seems from the text that they're a part of the community. They were part of this gathering of believers. And perhaps by divine revelation, Peter 
knew that their words did not match their actions. And so what they presented to the apostles didn't line up with what they had really done. And so there's the lie. There's the pretense. And and what is it that lies behind a sense of pretense? We've said it a couple times. What's there? What's that spirit? It is pride. It is pride... And, and, it, and it may not be pride in the sense of boastful and I'm so great and so wonderful. It may more just be a sense of pride in that, gosh, I'm worried about what these people are going to think of me if I'm honest about what I'm doing here. Pride is concern about self. And that's what Peter calls lying to the Holy Spirit, their pretense. He said to Ananias, What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but you've lied to God. Our translation says you've not only lied to men, but you've also lied to God. Their misrepresentation of the amount of the sale communicated to others was a lie. And that, Peter says, is a lie to God. They wanted others to think well of them. The opinions of others drove them to do this, I I think. They wanted things to appear other than what they really were, and, and, and at the heart of that was concern for self, that sense of pride. And as Nat mentioned earlier, the scripture is clear that God hates pride, and he hates boasting. And at this very critical stage in the life of the church, he dealt with it in a way that got the attention of everyone. Do I like that this story is here? Not at all. I'm just going to be honest. I don't like this story. I would quite frankly prefer that Ananias and Sapphira be given a good stern rebuke and a second chance. Wouldn't you? But they weren't. Verse 11 of the text tells us that great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. I'm just going to go on record as saying that I don't think it's a bad thing when great fear seizes the church. Because the word that we best translate or understand that word fear is really tied to the idea of respect. Fear of God is respect for God. It is respect for his holiness. It is a respect for his character. And and as Chad so wonderfully pointed out, in this era that we call the church age, when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell me and indwell you, well, as good Trinitarians, we understand that the Spirit is the Spirit of God. It's God's Spirit. It's God indwelling me, and it's God indwelling you. And so, 
How are we doing in our treatment of God in one another? Isn't this stunning? I, I, I think the fear that seized the whole church was a fear of just realization. Oh my. What are we dealing with here? Well, we're dealing with a God like, like no other. We are dealing with a God who has high expectations of those who call him themselves his followers because, oh, by the way, his name is attached to that. And you just spend time reading through the Old Testament and, and you can see the love and the honor that God gives God's self regarding his nature and his name. For the sake of my name, I will do this. Because you are a people of my name, I will do this. It's The name of God is the character of God. It's interesting to read some of the commentaries that have been written through the years on this story. Obviously, everyone feels that it's really harsh. I mean, who would argue? Like I said, I, I want him to get rebuked and get a second chance. Nobody disagrees that it's harsh. Some don't like it because it, it just doesn't seem like a loving God. Some think that it's a terribly severe penalty for a seemingly small sin. Some even go as far as to say, because of those reasons and more, that it was, it was made up, that it, that it didn't really happen. You know, I had a theology prof in seminary who basically said, we encounter the encouraging texts in Scripture and we encounter the challenging texts in Scripture. They're there for a reason. Live with it. And he's right. And this is one of those that I think we are called to live with and to be reminded of who this God is that we are dealing with on a daily basis, that, that one another are dealing with, that to be mindful of, of who God is every time I open my mouth in conversation with you and you with me and we with one another. Dealing with the presence of God in my life and in your life. It seems to me that great fear seized the church because of the sudden awareness of the severe holiness of God. And that's a really good and important thing. (laughs) If you've read the Narnia Chronicles, you may remember the conversation. I love it. Between the little travelers and Mr. Beaver after he told them that Aslan was a lion. You remember Aslan is the Christ figure in the Chronicles. Aslan's a lion and they're going to meet him. Aslan is a lion, I say. The lion, the great lion. Ooh, says little Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He is. He is the king. Brothers and sisters, the other question that that people ask about this story is, well, why don't we see this happen, happen more often? Maybe it does and we don't know it. Ever thought about that? 
God's holiness hasn't ever changed. God's character never changes. The expectations that God has of his people have never changed. His heart has always been for the people that he has created for himself, that they would love him more than anything else, that they would not allow the worries and the concerns and the lies and the possibilities and the whispers of the enemy that Peter addressed here to Ananias. How is it that Satan has filled your heart? And I'm just assuming that Ananias and Sapphira were believers. They were part of the community. doesn't say that they weren't. Could have been followers of Jesus. Am I saying that they were possessed by the, by the enemy? No. They certainly were assaulted by the enemy. They certainly were vulnerable to, to the whispers and the lies that he was suggesting to them. Just think of how much more people will respect you and how they'll think of you and the good things that they'll say about you if they think that you did what Joseph the Cyrene did. When we begin to worry more about ourselves, what others may think or not think, say or not say, and less about who it is that God has called us to be, that's when I think the story of Ananias and Sapphira needs to spring into our minds and remind us of the God that we're dealing with. Does that make sense? You know, it's... uh, It's a story of pretense. It's a story of of misrepresentation. It's a story of lying. Does God love a cheerful giver? Of course he does. You know, Peter addressed that. It was yours to do with you want, you know, what, what you wanted with. But it was not for you to present one thing all the while knowing that you did another. And I found myself thinking about that a lot this week in terms of of our relationships with one another. Again, Acts is a book of of witness, you know, individual witness and and collective witness. And, and, And we witness to one another all the time in our relationships with each other. And we're not witnessing in the sense that, well, you need to be saved, but we're witnessing in the sense of who Jesus is in my life and who he is, he is, molding and shaping me to become and, and, and that witness in my life can bless your life and your life can bless my life and we bless one another. That's a part of the collective witness that the world looks at and says, wow, I've, I've not seen people like this before. Unfortunately, I don't think they get to say that often enough about the people of God in the world. And I think the story of Ananias and Sapphira is here to remind us of the importance of what God is doing in our lives individually, and and as a collective group together. And we need to be a people who are dialed in and attentive to the work of the Spirit and always remembering that there's nothing more that Satan wants than to bring shame to the name of our God because of the way his people behave. Seems to me that's a big part of what's going on here. God, may you remind us often as your people that you take your 
holiness oh so seriously. That you take the witness of your people oh so seriously. That we will find ourselves surrendered to the Spirit of God and listening to those promptings to be totally, completely honest in our conversations with one another. Give us the ability, always we pray, to discern between those things where honesty seems as if it might promote us versus honesty that will promote Christ and his glory and encouragement in the lives of others. And Lord, when it comes to things that you call us to that will will cause us to sacrifice, may we remember that you are indeed our great provider and you will take care of us as we live in obedience to make you known through our words and our actions. So we thank you for this story. It's harsh, and we admit that. And none of us ever wants to face that kind of experience. Father, may your spirit generate greater and greater life in each of us that is surrendered and just deliriously happy to promote Jesus in all that we do and all that we say for your glory. Amen.